God, we are grateful that you're in this place with us already and that we can come to you and sing your praises. We're mindful of what's going on in the world around us, in our immediate community, um, at our schools, uh, in our workplaces. We're mindful of the pain and the suffering, the loss, the sickness that pervades this world, even beyond uh, what's close to us, uh, maybe especially so. We think of places where uh, great sickness is breaking out and where there are wars and fighting. And we ask for your mercy. As the people of God, we come to you and ask that you would have mercy on us, sinful human beings who seem to take each other for granted way too much and and, um, not honor each other enough. And, And we pray, Lord, at this time as we open up your words in Scripture that you would change us on the inside so that we could be part of the answer to what is so uh, needed in this world, that we could be part of the redemptive work that you're doing through broken, flawed human beings to turn back the sickness, to uh, bring peace where there is strife, to uh, bring honoring of one another where there's dishonoring of one another. Uh, And all the things that we suffer in this world, Lord, work through us as you change us from the inside and as you knit us together as a community, make us strong so that we might be part of the solution to what is around us. And we pray especially that you would use this time in which we examine your word to us in the scriptures to bring about that change, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Well, I've been thinking personally, and God I feel like has been working on me in the area of considering the transcendence of God. And what I mean by that, what's meant by that is just the sense of awe that is accompanied when somebody gets a real grasp of who God is, the greatness of God, the, the fact that God is, is, is other, he's above, and he's majestic and mighty and holy and all those things. I feel like in the last little while, one of the things that God has been doing in my life is helping me to understand a little bit more fully how important the doctrine of God's transcendence, the attribute his transcendence is for us as human beings. Now, we also need to know that God is close, right? We, and we, we know that. We know that in Jesus Christ, God was drawing near. And, and we, need to, we need to know that He's coming after us, that He was unafraid to get into the muck and the mire and the dust of the world and be present in our midst so that He could draw us back to the Father. We need to know that He's close. It's good for the soul. But likewise, it's also good for the soul to focus on and remember that God is holy, that he's transcendent, that he's totally other. Uh, and, and, and I feel like God has been working in my heart on that. And what I notice is that a lot of the petty sins that I'm tempted to get caught up in or the anxieties that beset me, they, they sort of disappear when I lose myself into the, the grandeur of God and the greatness of God and the holiness of God. And so, um, this morning, we have this opportunity to think about God's transcendence as it applies to corporate worship, as it applies to corporate worship. This is where our text is going to take us this morning, and this will be be good for us. Um, When people do something over and over again like we do, we gather together every Sunday 
morning and we do this thing, singing and thinking about God and preaching, and we do this over and over again, it's only natural that there would be some entropy that would set in, that we would maybe not always um, uh, come in the way that God would want us to come or we would forget some things. And so we need uh, constantly to be reformed and refined in the process of what we're doing when we gather together to worship God. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you'd open with me to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting in verse 1. If you need a Bible, we've got uh, one for you. Just raise your hand and we'll pass it to you. I'd love for you to follow along in the particular text here. Much more important than what I have to say is what is on the page there or on your screen, whatever the case may be. Um, so if you need one, raise your hand. It's page 472 in that particular Bible that we hand out. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. That would be a sacrifice that's blemished in some way. It's not really of value anyway, so you're just bringing it to God because it's not of use to you. And doing it in a a way, an insincere way. For they do not know that they are doing is evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, fruitless activity, and a fool's voice with many words. And we're not talking about, you know, Disneyland kinds of dreams here. We're talking about dreams of I'm going to accomplish this and do this and this, this grand scheme and its busyness. Verse 4, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. So if you made a vow in the temple uh, and, and you made it public, then later on a messenger might come to check in and make sure you're following through on your vow. And then I guess in that day the tendency was to say, oh, I made a mistake, I, didn't mean, I shouldn't have made that vow. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. I want to talk this morning on this text as it relates to corporate worship. That's what it's about. And just three reflections on how we worship Together And, and I'm, I'm aware that in this context this morning, this is the way for both of our services and every Sunday we have people who are here who are exploring Christianity. And I want to just encourage you and thank you for being here. We want you to be here. And I also want to, to let you know that in some of these things, we're speaking towards the person who has committed themselves to Jesus Christ. And so if at times you feel like, Maybe this doesn't apply to you yet. Maybe you need to experience the, the closeness of, of God in Jesus Christ first. 
and come to faith before some of this makes sense. Sometimes, though, it is through an understanding of God's transcendence that he brings us into relationship with him. So that's, that's also a possibility. But I want to just, as we get into this, how we worship together, I want to I just acknowledge that, that, that reality that we're in different places on this, and that's okay. And we just have to listen to these words and, and let God take us um, to where he take, wants to take us. But I'm excited for us as a community that gathers every week to think about how we do this thing that we, we do on Sunday mornings. When we gather together, how can we do it better? How can we do it more fully in reflection of the God that we, that we worship? And that's what I'm hoping that he'll accomplish in me and in us this morning. So three reflections on how to worship God. The first one is pretty obvious from the text that we read. Approach with reverence. Approach with reverence. Verse 1 says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And then later it says in verse 2, God is in heaven and you are on earth. A simple statement of reality. I was, many of you know, in Cancun recently uh, with my wife celebrating our 20th anniversary and we went out into the ocean. We pretty much did this every day. It was just glorious. The water was warm. And we would be laying there in the ocean just with our backs, on our backs, just looking up into the sky. And it was the most glorious sky. It had three different levels of clouds. And so it gave you this incredible impression of the depth of the, the sky. So it had the, the stratus clouds, which are just at the bottom. And those are the ones that float by. You can see them go by, actually. You can, you can watch them. And then it had the cumulonimbus, I had to look that up, clouds, um, which are the ones that stretch, they're really puffy, and they stretch from a low elevation all the way to up to 50,000 feet or so. And so, you know, you're looking at those. And then, up at the highest part of that, you had the cirrus clouds, which are the sort of the, 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 the wafery kind of clouds, which are on top of that. And so, you're lying there in this warm water, and you just feel suddenly your insignificance as you look up and see the grandeur and the majesty. And then God's been, you know, working on me in this transcendence thing, and I thought, oh my goodness, and that's nothing compared to the God that I worship. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking how big it is, but God is bigger. And I'm thinking how much power is represented in that sky, and at night, the the clouds would come closer into shore, and we would look out, and there'd be thunder and lightning and just rocking the sky, and I would think, and God is bigger than that. And then, uh, you know, we, uh, when we went, we, we thought it was going to be thunder and lightning and raining every day, um, and, and I thought, if those clouds want to, they can, you know, they can move close, and they can totally change our vacation. Yes, we've worked, worked hard to get child care, and we paid money to come down here, and, 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 and um, we, we even stayed married for 20 years so that we could do this thing. And, and yet if the clouds wanted to, they could just change it and I would have no say in the matter, right? Because they're big and powerful. They're always right. I never win. And how much more is that the case with God? He's always right. I never get to decide. He's righteous. He's holy. And, and that's the God that we worship. He's, he's all that and he's much more and we only begin to understand the tip of it the, 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 just the beginning aspects of it when we get a glimpse of the greatness of the creation that he made. And in this text, it's that understanding of God that pervades worship and how you think about worship. Okay? 
And we know that, that God is also close. And theologians use this word, God's imminence. That means he's close. And we need that. We love that. It's so important. That informs our worship too, right? Uh, it informs our worship to know that God is close, that we can come as we are in our brokenness, in our imperfections. And, and, and we were joking, Miguel and I were joking about one of us should wear a suit today uh, in reflective of God's transcendence. And one of us would wear sweats and a, a t-shirt in reflection of God's willingness to take us as we are. So there's both of those themes going on through Scripture. But here, we're looking at the transcendent piece. And I think that if we look at the church and the history of the church, what's gone on is that there was this over, perhaps overemphasis of God's transcendence to the point that, um, that people forgot about the imminence, the closeness of God. And, and for decades and centuries even, there, were, there developed these traditions to help people to remember the transcendence of God. And so you had smoke and bells and, and whistles and, 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 and sobriety when you came into the, to the, to the worship service and there was silence and reverence and all of that. And, and, and after so much of that, we sort of forgot that there was this, 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 uh, uh, this call to approach God that comes through Jesus Christ. And it's okay to come in your brokenness and your sin and your imperfections and as you are. And so the pendulum has swung away from this overemphasis on transcendence to this perhaps overemphasis on the casual. And we come at the end of that, that, that correction uh, onto the casual side of worship. And so that's wonderful and good because we need that, but that we stand at risk of losing the transcendent side that should inform our worship. And this text, I hope, is going to bring kind of a, a corrective for us and reminder for us. You know, we ask the question, what would someone think about God if all they had was walking into this room and seeing the people of God as they worship? Would they get a clear picture of the attributes and the character of God if they saw us worshiping? That's kind of an interesting question, isn't it? It's kind of a refining question for us, and especially in light of this text that we're looking at. Uh, and so I did some reflection on that. Um, uh, we, we need to be pushed, perhaps, to think about how we reflect the transcendent character of God in our worship context together. And so I want to push us a little bit on that. And I feel bad that I, I have to be the messenger here, but I'm going to be the messenger in faithfulness to this text. Um, so the first thing I would say is this. That if we were to reflect more fully the transcendence of God in our worship, I think we would prepare more for what we do on Sunday morning. We prepare our hearts. When I was in a membership class one time a few years back, a woman said, I love that we do communion every week because what happens is I'm going through my week and, and about Friday, I think, you know, uh, I'm going to be taking communion on Sunday. Is my heart right with the Lord? And, and then she said, usually what happens next is I have to go to my husband and apologize for something. <laughs> and that was the preparation that she would go through leading towards Sunday. And that's good. And that's right. And that's true. And that's reflective of God and his holiness and his greatness, Right? And so we would prepare more. Um, on Saturday night, how do we spend our time? Do we fill our minds with things that take us away from the Lord? Things that, that we're going to have to repent of on Sunday morning before we go to worship. You know? Will we consider that on Saturday night? What are we putting into our heads? And of course, that applies to all the entire week. And then, you know, 
when we, when we pray, we pray. We gather to pray in the back corner at about 8.45 on Sunday morning. And there will often be 5 to 10, maybe 15 of us gathered there to pray for a worship service that would be honoring to God. And as I was reading this text and thinking about what does it mean to really prepare for worship, I thought, wouldn't it be great if in preparation for our morning worship there were 50 people here at 8.45 to pray for what goes on in this room. If we had that sort of heart of preparation, we wanted to, to prepare. I had a, it says don't make any rash vows. I thought, you know, if we ever get 50 people back there, I'm going to shave off my beard. Um, just as a, so if you guys want that challenge, I'll do it. So if you can get 50 people for prayer, but then I shouldn't make a rash vow, so I, I might take it back. Um, <laughs> too late, yeah. No, I probably would do it. It'd be funny. I've had a 30 years or something. Anyway, no, not, not that long. I'm not that old. Um, <laughs> wow, did not mean to get off track like that. <laughs> Where am I? Uh, okay, I'm preaching. Okay, right here. So the second thing about uh, making our worship reflect the transcendent nature of God was, was, was this, is maybe we would arrive on time um, as a reflection of, of the worship of God. And I don't want this to be about me. I stand here purposely in this chair looking this way, okay? So I never know when you come in. I don't know if you're late. I don't know if you're early. I don't think about it. I don't want to know. It's between you and the Lord. But that's what I do want to talk about, between you and the Lord, right? If this is really the time when we are to worship God and He's translated, He's all that that He really is, wouldn't we want to be eagerly here to pray and then to, to, to be here and worship and get every ounce of that opportunity that we could have so that we can worship God together. <laughs> Last Sunday was, was funny. Uh, we had this special guest preaching, and literally 9 a.m., we walked down the aisle, and there was not one person in the seats. There were people here setting up who were sort of buzzing around. And we stood right here, and Miguel started leading worship. And Colin, who was here, is this reformed guy who's already sort of like the frozen chosen, right? So we're just standing, the two of us, no movement or anything like this, and, and Miguel is, is leading us in worship. And then, you know, I turn around later, and there's all these people, right? Um, great. Um, but would we want to be eager to be here um, right on time? And would we sing heartily uh, when we sing? Would we sing with the same investment that God had when he gave his son? And why not? Why wouldn't we? God was invested when he offered his son. We are to invest ourselves in return. And that should be reflective in our singing to this God who is so invested in us. We want to reflect that back to him. I loved our 10th anniversary and the, the volume of singing in that room. And when we got to the part about the victory of the resurrection, and shouts just went up in the congregation, because everybody was so excited to remember the resurrection. That was, that was one of my favorite worship services ever. And it was just so wonderful. And, and, and that ought to, that's fitting. That's fitting. It characterizes who we are in light of who God is. I know there are a lot of worship preferences that go on, and 
you know, um, we've got people saying more songs, and we've got people saying less songs, and we've got people saying different songs, and we've got people saying this and that, and we have, you know, sort of manage all that. And there's no way to hit everybody's favorite sweet spot when it comes to worship. It is an impossibility. And what I tell Miguel is, you know, listen to what people say, um, and, and take it in and, and, and reflect on it through the, the lens of Scripture. But at the end of the day, you go into your prayer closet, you meet with Jesus, and you come out and you lead us in worship. We don't want a people pleaser up here. We want a God pleaser up here leading in worship. Right? And so we need to give him the freedom to, to be that person. And I want to remind us too in, in this light, what a blessing God has given to this community of faith, to this church. Recently, um, we had a big pastor's gathering. And so um, I was part of uh, setting it up, and there were maybe 100 pastors and, and lay leaders, and they were there. And um, we all gathered together. I was part of it. So I had Miguel I, uh, lead worship. And so Miguel starts leading worship, and I'm sitting at a table, and we're singing, and one of my pastor friends looks over at me, and he goes, he goes, who's worship?" And I go, ours? <laughs> he gets this very sober look and he goes, I hate you. <laughs> Afterwards, I had so many pastors come, man, we've been looking for somebody who has that, the heart, first of all, but then also, you know, the gifting to be able to lead in worship. I mean, Miguel got in and he had, you know, job offers across his desk. From, when I was walking out, my mentor pastor um, who has often telling me what I need to do better, um, he walked up to me and he said, Andrew, um, that was the stupidest thing you've ever done, to bring your worship leader here to a group of pastors. Um, and so, um, and we're, I'm going to humble him later this week, so after building him like, like that, don't worry. And if I don't, God will, I'm sure. Um, so we'll take care of that. But, uh, but let's also be thankful and let's understand the difficulty when it comes to musical preference and the challenge that that is. And, 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 and let's speak into Miguel's life and our other worship leaders, and, but let's also give him the freedom to go and meet with the Lord and come out and lead us. And even if we don't love the song, let's sing because, because we're invested like God has been invested in us. So we would sing heartily. We would honor the word, and I, I loved the way that um, Matt Donovan read the word this morning. He stood up here and he proclaimed the word, and the word is something very precious to us, obviously, and special. And so we would honor it uh, when, when we come together. Um, one of my uh, fellow students in seminary wrote, when God's word is being preached, you're not merely receiving information about God, but God himself is addressing you through his word. Now, not, not through my words, but through his word, God is addressing us. It's not just information about God, but you realize how special that is. People say, I want to hear from God. Well, come and worship with the community of faith, and you hear from God. These are the words of God. And so we should reflect on it and honor it rightly. A little bit more about that in a minute. We would honor this table if we really understood the transcendent uh, nature of God. We would, we would come to it with a sense um, of unity in the midst. We wouldn't take for granted the unity that, that Christ wants to bring with us. Um, the key claim of Paul in 1 Corinthians with regard to the table is that they're coming to the table and they're not in unity. They're, they're exhibiting selfishness. They're not exhibiting a sacrificial spirit when they come to this table. And so 
um, that's what he has against them. And so it's a lesson for us, you know, that we need to be exhibiting that kind of unity when we come to this table to, together. And, and I think sometimes we have this sense, well, if I'm okay with the people up front, with the pastor and, and Miguel, where I can be angry at the other people who are sitting around me, and that's okay. And that's not okay, actually. We need to be, we need to, if there's friction among us, we need to grapple with that. And, and then we need to walk away from this table willing to sacrifice for one another. Being willing to sacrifice. That's what it's, that it, it's Jesus' sacrifice for us. We come to the table, we're reminded of that, and then we walk away being willing to sacrifice for one another. And there's all kinds of ways that that cuts through. Honoring our brothers and sisters, um, staying around for them to talk with them and, and be part of their lives, um, to help them. Um, to take our turn when it's our turn to do the chores of the church. There are all kinds of chores associated with the church, and, and we need to take our turn. And I think we're at the stage in our life where we had people who served for years and years and years, and then they, they went off of serving in some of the ways that they served, and then it's gone for a long period of time. And maybe now it's time for some of those people who served in, in the beginning to come back and serve again, because we don't want to give the impression that, that serving in some of these ways uh, whether it be teaching the kids or set up or whatever it is, uh, that those are things that you just graduate from after you've been here for a little while and you never have to do again. And, and, and so we want to we wanna continue to honor one another and to, to be eager to pick up and help sacrifice and serve for one another. You tracking with me in all this? All, if, if somebody walks into this kind of community and sees that kind of mutual love and sacrifice and the robust singing, and the honoring of one another, and, and this word being honored, and, and Christ being elevated, then they're going to they're gonna understand the character of God, right? It's going to be reflected in us as a community. And that's what we want as we worship, to reflect the character of God. So the, the first point is simply to approach with reverence. Approach with reverence. And then... We're encouraged to think and to speak with care. To think and to speak with care. Guard your steps. Draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Do not say in verse 6, do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Um, for when dreams increase, verse 7, and words grow many, there is vanity. So there's an emphasis on listening when we come into the presence of God, listening for the voice of God. And it's a good policy really for all of life. The Proverbs say, when words are many, sin is not lacking. And um, if you live in a household with lots of people, you know that to be the case. Um, when words are many, sin is not lacking. So often you just have to take the words out of the mix so that you can deflate and people can start to listen. And just when we come into worship, it's so important that we come in with a posture that we're going to listen for the living God to speak into our lives what He wants to speak into our lives. Now, you say, preacher, heal thyself, Right? when you hear that, um, because I'm one of those of us who stand up here and talk a lot. So, uh, a word about preaching, just so that you know our philosophy around this. Mainly, we emphasize expository preaching, which is that we come to this text, and we come as a blank slate. And on Wednesday morning, when I open up my 
Bible to really dig into the text, I don't know what I'm going to preach about. I really oftentimes have very little clue because I want to come as a blank slate and let the text, the Scripture, write on my heart. And oftentimes with the young guys when they're preaching, we will purposely assign to them a text that they would not have chosen to preach. Why? Because it forces them to have to submit themselves to the text. So often when you preach, you say, oh, I've been wanting to say this to the congregation. Um, Let me find a passage that will let me say it, right? Uh, And then you find a passage and it kind of glances on that topic. And what you're really doing is is reading into the text something in your head that you want to say to the congregation. But our philosophy, and we're not perfect at this, the attempt is to try and come to it as a blank slate and to let God speak and then out of that to speak to the congregation. And so that's why most of the time we're doing this expository type preaching. And then your role in this process is to listen with Bible in hand and to to follow along with your finger. Is it really true what he's saying? The New Testament talks about these people, the Bereans, who when Paul was preaching, they followed along in their Bibles and they asked, does it really say what he said right there? Is is he really saying it? And so the sign of of a healthy church is is a church where there's worn-out Bibles. Or, since a lot of you bring your phones and read them on there, there's dead batteries, right? Because you've been been reading your Bible so much, your battery's dead on your phone. Or your Bible's worn out. Um, That's a sign of health, because ultimately, I'm responsible to speak faithfully as I am able to do so but you are responsible for what you think and know about God. I'm not responsible for that. Now, I'll be held accountable as a teacher to a high account for for speaking truth and doing it well, but at the end of the day, you can never say, well, Andrew said it, don't blame me, right? Because it's on you to seek the Lord. And you want it that way. You don't want me to have that much sway in your life. It's on you to seek the Lord in the Scripture to to wear out your Bible pursuing Him and understand it backwards and forwards so that you can be guided without having or needing me. I am maybe an accelerant in the process to help, but that's that's really it. So worn out Bibles and dead batteries, that's what we need in a church where we're honoring and understanding the transcendent nature of God. And then thirdly, we follow through in worship with a sense of urgency. We follow through with a sense of urgency. Verse 4 says, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. And so this is talking about the rash person who vows a vow without really thinking about it, like shaving your beard or something like that. Um, And then who doesn't follow through. And the danger is that you would get used to hearing the Word of God and, 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 respond, and, and responding in your mind, but then not following through. And the more you practice not following through on the Word of God, the easier it becomes, right? The more you practice ignoring God's promises and commands and all of that, the easier it becomes to ignore them. We want to we go the other direction. Sometimes I wish I could just start over. And then let me just start with Genesis 1. And I'm going to read Genesis 1, and when I finally get Genesis 1, verse 1 absorbed into my soul, and I'm living that out, then I'll go on to Genesis 1, verse 2, right? I'd love to just start over and really absorb the Bible verse by verse and to really make it a part of the fabric of my being. There's that, that longing inside of us 
And, and, and we need to be careful that we don't lose that because it becomes very dangerous if we're so quickly and easily saying, oh, yes, that's true and right and good and I want to do it. And then we walk out of here and forget everything that we've been thinking. And that's why our home groups connect with the same scripture text so that we can help each other apply this in the specific circumstances that we're living in in that particular week. We don't need lots and lots of different messages. We need one message and really drive it home into our lives. That's why we do home group in the way that we do it because we want to drive it home and help each other drive it home into our lives. But then on the other side of that equation, some of us out of fear, we say, okay, well then I'll never make any sort of vow. I'll never engage my will in the process of following God. I'll just, I'll just never promise anything. I'll never say I'm going to do anything. And so we fall off on the other side because God gave you a will. And if you look at the, the whole teaching of Scripture, it's, it's for us to engage our will and to say, yes, I want to follow you, Jesus, and I want to I serve you. That's part of what it means. And we fail and we trip up and we struggle, but that doesn't mean we're supposed to just never engage our will in the process. And so we have to, we have to be careful. If you're a rash vower and you don't follow through, then Jesus has these words for you to, to, to let your yes be yes and your no be no. And if you're somebody who never makes a commitment out of self-protection, then this passage has a word for you, that you would, would give God your will, engage your will in the process of pursuing him. I'm going to change with God's help. God's going to change me, but I'm going to go along and I'm going to encourage the process. See, Sunday then becomes the start of something that goes through the week, rather than just this sort of one-time event that we forget about as soon as we walk out of these doors. This is the process of growth and transformation, is following through with that sense of urgency. Do not delay, it says. Do not delay. All right. Now, all of this that I've said this morning could easily turn into a new kind of legalism, right? I'm very aware of that and as I think about this. And some of you are sitting there, because you've talked to me, and you're like, yes, pastor. I've been wanting you to say these things for so long to this church, Right? People are late. They don't have their Bibles, you know. And you just, ugh, been feeling it. And I want us to be careful about that, right? We got to be careful to not set up a new legal. This has to come from a sense that we've met with the living God and we've seen his transcendence and we are responding in our hearts to who God is, Right? That's where this has to come from. And so if you're not feeling it, then maybe what you should do is go think about the transcendent nature of God. Let that be your first application point and your step. And then let this change grow out of that understanding. And let us also remember that though we want to reach the transcendent God, we never can, we never can, only Jesus could do that and he did on the cross, offering himself a sacrifice, so that then when we are alive in him, we can go with him to reach the transcendent God. Let's remember and never forget, that's the reality. Try as we might to reflect God's greatness, we can't in our own strength. Only Jesus can, but Jesus will take us there. In the same way, we can't watch our words and our thoughts perfectly. We can't always say the right thing. We're going to make mistakes. Only Jesus said the right thing every time. And only Jesus said you know, what nobody thought, uh, there was nothing better that he could have said. Only Jesus was like that. And so we have to remind each other and give each other grace in the midst of it. 
And only Jesus always followed through. Only Jesus always followed through when he made a commitment. And so we have to understand that sinful nature of ours and give ourselves grace and look to help each other understand the transcendent nature of God and to let worship flow from that understanding. No sort of legalism or, or sort of you know, written standards that we, we apply to each other's lives. No, we each dive deeper into understanding and revering this incredible God we worship. And that will change how we gather together. And that will refine it and make us more reflective of his character. So Lord, we invite you into this process of changing us and transforming us. And first and foremost, we want to see you. We want to see you high and lifted up in your glory. I think of Isaiah who was undone in the midst of your presence. Holy, holy, holy. He said three times in emphasis. Would you reveal yourself to us in that way? And we can only say that because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we would be completely undone. But would you reveal yourself to us in your greatness, in your transcendence? And out of that, would we have a renewal in our hearts, a hunger same kind of hunger we attribute, we attach to football games with football teams that we love and the yelling and the getting there early and the enthusiasm. Lord, would you give us a greater hunger to come and worship you with the same kind of enthusiasm and, and, and heart to sing your praises and honor you. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.